Hi again, folks, and thanks for joining us today for NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Podcast, brought to you by several sponsors, one of whom is Alex Watanabe of Snaps.talk, aka Tokyo Night Owl. Alex offers professional photography and videography shootings in Tokyo. He's experienced, flexible, and affordable. His rates start at only 3,000 yen, so about 30 US dollars. If you want to look like a Hollywood star on your social media, capture a special moment like a birthday, a wedding, business seminar,、uh, which has done a phenomenal job photographing for us as well. Back in the days when、uh, business seminars could actually be conducted face to face, remember that era? Or even if you got just a weekend barbecue you want to grab some snaps of, Alex is the man for all of your photo and video needs. And we will link to his email address and some of his work in this episode's show notes as usual. But you can always reach him on snaps.talktok at gmail.com or on his personal Instagram account under the name Tokyo Night Owl. Okay, so now for today's conversation. This is a recording of a business call that we had last month with a Tokyo resident. He's originally from the UK, which you'll probably pick up、uh, at once from his crystal clear British accent. And although he's been living here for a while now and also owns rental property back home in England, he's completely new to investing in Japan. So we cover quite a few topics. We revisit some of the basic market fundamentals,、uh, different yields in different locations around the country. We touch upon the last year and what it's done to property values in various locations.、Uh, we cover some accounting issues, mainly related to depreciation. And we also talk a lot about diversity and hedging, which I always find to be a really valuable topic. Cash flow versus potential growth, advantages of commercial versus residential, and how you can structure your portfolio to benefit from both. And also a bit about our own services as a buyer's agent and proxy manager here in Japan, how much our service costs,、uh, why our clients engage our services, how to get started, and so forth. So, well rounded conversation. And I think, particularly after the last couple of episodes, which were all about the macro view and trends and statistics and projections, it's really good to. Get back into the ins and outs of the segment of the market that we and our clients are most active in, which are the more affordable、uh, individual or small family investor type of assets that all of you cash buyers、um, or small investment mortgage borrowers are usually into. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. And don't go away at the end of it because I'll be back with a special announcement related to a virtual get together or QA session that we're going to hold next week. And who knows, maybe on a more regular basis as well. So stay with us, stay tuned, enjoy the chat, and I shall see you again on the other side. Okay, go for it. So maybe give me a little bit of your background first, just so I'll know where you're coming from. And if you could just let me know if you've got other investments in other places in the world, so it'll give me an idea of what your portfolio looks like. Yeah, okay, yeah.、Um, this, I live in Japan. I've been living back in Japan with my family for、um, three and a half years now. Which is, our, which is my second time. So I was previously here for 10 years, left here in 2008, went and lived in China for 10 years, and then back here now. I'm originally from the UK. Yep.、Um, so I, well, as a family, I, we have a property in the UK and then investments that are、um, funds, et cetera, that are, that are linked to the UK. We, we don't, at the moment, we, the only property we own is in the UK. Okay, and the property that you have there, is that generally、um, capital growth play or high cash flow or what sort of. It's all cash flow, so it's not mortgaged. It's,、okay. um, it's, it's wholly owned, it's let out. It was, at one point in time, it was potentially going to be somewhere we, where we lived as a family home, but、um, 
we're on the wrong side of the world for that now. Yeah. So um, perhaps that will continue to be let out for in, indefinitely, really. Okay, and that's um, is that getting relatively high percentage yield or? Um, well, yeah, of course, it's, it's all profit. There's no there's no mortgage against the um, against the property. So um, it, I mean, it's yes, it's it's actually worth doing. We pay a probably ten percent, I think eight percent, ten percent to the to the agent to sort of manage the lettings. But it's it's the way the market is in the UK and the size of the sort of relative newness of the property, etc. It's luckily it's quite attractive. So. Certainly, over the last eight years or so, it's I, I think it's probably only been a couple of months where it's not been let out. Okay, understood. And your other investments aside from property, property funds um, linked to sort of future pensions, etc. But again, all all through managed brokers based based in based in the UK. Okay, so fairly hedged, would you say? I mean, some of it has got growth, some of it pays dividends. It's across a range, yeah. So we'll review it numerous times during the year. With a percentage being um, equities, percentage being various different markets, etc. So there's there's effectively three tranches that um, go across sort of low, medium, and, and slightly higher return or higher risk. Okay, so and so you're looking to diverse geographically. That's why you're looking at Japan. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, being here now for um, so just three and a half, put it working towards four years. I. I don't know. I, I would expect us to be here for a number of years more, and by number, I'm, I'm guessing that um, three, four, five, six—that that sort of thing. I've got, well, we, we've got two um, high school age daughters. One will be going to university in three years' time. So that's probably the next next sort of time as a family will put our heads up and consider where we should be. But um, yeah, it's actually it's part of a. <laughs> It's part of a New Year's resolution that I've sort of put off for a couple of years and said, right, okay, now we're, now we're in Japan, let's and I'm, let's understand the Japanese property, property market a little bit better. Um, I've, rather than sort of, I've always had this belief that it's, um, there's no real capital gain to be had on properties in Japan, and we've been in a position where we've we've always had sort of rental properties provided for us, and that's the position we're in, so it's, nev- it's never been something that's, been urgent, but um, whilst whilst I suppose me and many people are stuck at home, I'm um, I sort of made a commitment to myself to sort of dig into it a little, a little bit more. Right. So, well, I mean, you're right in the sense that it's not usually thought of as a as a capital appreciation market. Um, I mean, we've had a good few years since 2012. Um, in most of the major cities, but that's on the back of those um, two and a half decades of deflation. So mm-hmm. long term, it's really anyone's guess. So we, we definitely don't recommend our clients to focus on that as a major criteria as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly viewed as a good, um, stable, reliable cash flow market. Yeah. Um, particularly in the sense of um, the tenants and the uh, the professionals that you work with mm-hmm. are usually mm-hmm. um, quite hassle-free and, and transparent. Yeah. yeah. Um, evictions, or especially forced evictions, are never an issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, worst case, somebody has payment issues, which of course can happen. Um, yeah. You basically send them a letter and, and off they go. They, they wouldn't... Um, you wouldn't have right, to yeah, uh, apply yeah. to court to evict them or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's never happened um, to any of our clients and to us personally. 
Right, yeah. Um, so yeah, fairly safe and stable market. But you were mentioning that you were looking at Tokyo specifically. The yields are fairly compressed in Tokyo. Right. Um, that and that's well, that's purely because I'm I'm based here and sort out of. Um, I believe that things that are in touch and distance are easy to understand, easy to manage potentially. But no, I will. What, what I'm keen to do is follow the guidance in terms of what works best. And if it's not Tokyo, I'm um, I, I would follow that really rather than being wedded to Tokyo. Well, the last year has been good for uh, yields in Tokyo, just in the sense that the market's a bit softer at the moment. Um, so a lot of people, especially at the lower end of the scale, it's a bit different than the um, sort of mega deal scenario with um, you know, cash-rich landlords do tend to sit and wait and see if things will blow over. But on the lower end of the scale, which is normally um, what um, our clients would be looking at, it has been a bit softer. So we, we see listings advertised at or at least negotiable to levels that we haven't seen in the last four or five years. Right. Okay. So maybe somewhere between ten to, in some cases, even fifteen or twenty percent um, lower, or at least achievable lower. Even if it's listed at a higher price, it's going to be more negotiable. Right. And the same goes for Osaka and Nagoya. Okay. Um, to other cities, um, there are more opportunities with distressed properties in the hospitality sector and so forth. But otherwise, residential, right. residential and commercial haven't taken much of a hit yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might change towards mid to end 2021. But at the moment, we're seeing it mostly in those three cities, in Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya, and the surrounding uh, cities that tend to uh, share the same trend. So Yokohama, Kawasaki, Kobe, those right. sort of places. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, I mean, if... If we're lucky, we might see, if we're talking about net before tax, so taking into account all of your purchase and, and known running costs mm-hmm. and excluding um, unknowns as your individual tax circumstances and vacancies, maintenance, stuff that we just don't know in advance. Yeah. So net before tax, um, we'd be lucky if we get to 6% in Tokyo these days, normally right. more like 5, 55 uh, Yokohama maybe gets to six and a half in some of the more suburban areas of it. Yeah. Um, Kawasaki, same story. Osaka, similar to Tokyo, maybe five and a half, scratching mm. the six kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Um, other cities can go a bit higher than that. So places like Nagoya, Fukuoka, um, some of the satellite and prefectural cities like uh, Saitama, Kumamoto, Mm-hmm. Um, Sapporo can go up to maybe seven, seven and a half. Right. Sapporo maybe eight on paper, but because it's a cold area, maintenance costs tend to be higher there. Right. Yeah. And vacancies tend to be longer as well because people don't move around much during the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say probably average out probably seven and a half. Right. And, and those figures based on sort of full occupancy, are they? Or um, no at, gaps. at the time of purchase. So with vacancies and as buildings get older and building fees rise, um, maintenance expenses could rise and rents. It would be good if rents would go up, but on the cheaper end of the market, the residential especially, um, they don't tend to go up that much. Right. And in some cases, if you'd have new developments built in close proximity, 
that tends to push rents down a little bit uh, on mm -hmm. the older properties as well. Right, yeah. So the yields that I mentioned are at the time of purchase, and then as the years go by, they tend to shrink a little bit. Right. Um, whether that's going to be happen faster or slower depends on... Um, that's the due diligence that we do when we um, look at potential properties to see if you know the buildings has got a reasonable renovation history and sufficient reserve funds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Building fees are not likely to go up significantly in the next five or ten years. Mm -hmm. um, if the building is well maintained, then it's probably not going to have. It's not going to suffer from too long vacancies. Um, obviously, location is a factor. So distance to the station, suburban, central, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Right, okay. And then there's commercial, which at the moment there are good deals to be had, but with commercial, especially in times like these, um, it's a lot more volatile. Yeah. So when the economy does well, we can raise the rents on commercial properties. A company's not going to move out if it's got a good location mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and known clientele in that area. But when things go south like they have been in the last year, then mm -hmm. they'll definitely uh, resize or move out or even close altogether. And then um, re-tenanting commercial properties in times of crisis is always a lot more challenging. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's a market with more potential for rent hikes than the residential market because salaries haven't gone up in, for a while in Japan. Yes. Um, so we can't really raise the rents on the residential where we can do that for commercial properties that are doing well. But at the moment, while you would be able to purchase them cheap, it might be a case of purchasing them and then waiting to weather the storm until the pandemic blows over again. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, understand. So that's a bit more speculative, I would say. Um, the best of all worlds is residential uh, buildings where the building management company allows them to be rented out as offices as well. Okay, yeah. Um, so these multi-purpose sort of units, uh, when the market does well, you can consider commercial tenants. Okay, and so that's effectively like an apartment block and some of it, the, it's, it's, it's allowed to be used as offices or residential. That's right. right. So accountant, right, okay. accountants, lawyers, God, people yeah, okay, who yeah. do who deal in e-commerce or just uh, you know receive a small number of customers at their office once in a while, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. right, um, okay, yeah. Small English schools sometimes hire uh, rent apartments for that sort of thing, or other um, schools or hairdressers. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Home yeah. appointments. So the, these <laughs> sort of tenants. It just gives you a wider tenant base to um, to fall back on when you get a vacancy. So that's the best of all worlds from our perspective. And if you're buying a small building, say something that's got four, six, eight units, um, sometimes you might have a shop on the ground floor kind of thing. Yeah. A laundromat or a, even a small bar or a store, something of that sort. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that's also that. a good sort of diversity play <clears throat> that you can do. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. Right, okay. Um, I think I may have mentioned in my email too, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sort of right, right at the start of this and just trying to understand, I suppose, if, if there's a sort of sweet spot, if that makes sense, in terms of purchasing, again, in, in my mind, I, I haven't really sort of had commercial in there, but um, purchasing a, an apartment or a property, and then sort of understanding the the cost of doing so, as you say, versus the returns that you get. And my expectations, say, based on a limited amount of reading, were pretty sort of 
small in that regard. But then understanding that, again, I'm a little, little bit new to this, that the the depreciation of, of, of the building, I suppose, rather than the land over a certain amount of time, understanding, obviously, the age of the building, the, the amount that's spent on it, how that would help reduce individual income tax, and yeah. then sort of put, put that together and say, right, um, it is, you know, I mean, for example, it, it's the, the ideal is a building that's worth X because that will allow you to depreciate over this period of time and therefore, in theory, that's what I'd shoot for, if that, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Um, to give you more accurate advice on this, you probably need an accountant. We're not really yeah, qualified yeah. to... to um, we don't know exactly how they calculate. There's a few methods that they can use. And depending on the age of the building and the size of the the size of the structure or the land plot, I'm not sure. Um, right. So they can optimize this to give you the best results for depreciation. But generally speaking, the newer the building, the more uh, room you've got to depreciate. Whereas if you're buying something that's near the end of its tax lifespan, yeah, and um, there's not much depreciation to be had anymore. So it yeah. depends on what you're purchasing. The wooden structures, um, I think, have a tax lifespan of 27 years. Right. At 25 or 27, whereas the reinforced concrete blocks have a lifespan of 47 years. Right. Okay. There's been some talk um, about officially changing that, but I don't think that's gone through. So these are probably the tax lifespans at the mm -hmm. moment still. Um, obviously, if the building is newer, you can claim more depreciation, but the newer and bigger it is, the, the lower the yield tends to be. Right. So right. the uh, price graph rises a lot more sharply uh, in comparison with the rental fee graph. And once that gap right. becomes right. so, you would get, say, um, 1.5 times the rent, um, but the property might cost two, two and a half times more than an older one. So the, the wider that gap, the more compressed your yields are going to become. So I guess it's really a, a point, it's really a case of finding what your minimum cash flow yield requirement is and mm -hmm. then trying to play within that gap to yeah. get the newest, biggest property that you can. But an accountant, again, would be the best person to speak yes. to about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to have those conversations. I, so I wanted to sort of understand, as, as you're helping with, with me, me with now, which is appreciated, um, a little bit about the market and obviously how to how I, how I'd go about purchasing the, the cost of doing it, how that would work, and then I, I will obviously try and get hold of an accountant or someone we know over the next couple of weeks. But um, yeah, I can refer you to a few that our customers use um, just to give you a bit a few more options um, when you speak to them, and okay. some of them will be more forthcoming with information even before <clears> you hire them. Some of them will want to be paid from the get go, so it depends on who you find. Okay. Um, the other thing to take into consideration is you've mentioned in your email that you're looking at a mortgage. Yes. Um, so the banks would have their own criteria. They might have uh, specific locations, a minimum age of build, uh, maximum age of building, uh, particular purposes. Like for example, some lenders will only lend for uh, long-term residential leases. You won't be able to, to um, buy commercial properties with their loans. Mm -hmm. You won't be able mm -hmm. to lease them short-term. Um, for monthly rentals or weekly rentals, which does tend to increase yields. Right, um, right. So it, it's also a case, I mean, the most severe limitations you would have is what the bank would agree to go for. Mm -hmm. So it's probably a better idea to get some criteria from them before we even look at options that they might not even approve. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, um, I understand. 
Mm, okay, thank you. Um, in terms of your services, you, I suppose, where would it start and where would it finish? You can, what, so assuming I had done what was needed with regards to getting confidence levels around a mortgage, um, understanding what is right for me in terms of the amount of outlay, you could then do what, sort of help with the search and also can you, can you source properties from the market that are sort of available on the market and ones that sort of wouldn't necessarily be in shop windows, et cetera? How does, how does that work? Yeah, so we're not a brokerage. We're not a real estate agency. We're a buyer's agency and the proxy for people who need it. So some of our customers don't live in Japan and they actually need somebody to be their bank account because they can't open a bank account. They need somebody to communicate with the building management and their property management companies. So we can do that post-settlement as well. And for the buying side of things, we, like you said, so we help you research properties. Um, we're not limited to any, we don't have any interest in any particular properties or any particular agents to work with. So we've got agents that we've done deals with in the past. And in those cases, we'll get listings before they actually get published online. Right. Um, and if we don't find anything attractive um, that, you know, tickles your interest from those lists, then we'll go online and, contact agents all over the country and see what they've got on their list, people that we haven't worked with yet. And then once we shortlist a few um, interests, we'll start conducting due diligence on them. And here again, it depends on what you're going to be purchasing. If you're buying a unit in a co-owned block or if you're buying a small building or if you're buying a house, the due diligence differs a little bit. Um, In cases of buildings, we'll want to see the renovation history in, in case you own the entire building, it'll probably be slightly newer than some of the individual units you'll be looking at. And in those cases, the renovation history will be less significant, but we'll want to see that the um, that the zoning hasn't changed since it was built. In some cases, when you want to rebuild in the future, you might um, find that the land plot rules have changed and you can now only build smaller st- structures or certain types of structures. Um, obviously, tenant history is important if it's a tenanted property. Um, we want to see right, okay. yeah. what's the tenant profile, how long they lived there, if they had any payment or other issues. If the properties that you're buying are tenanted, you're not going to be able to enter them for inspections. The law doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't allow right, that yeah. in Japan. Okay. So you're pretty much buying sight unseen. So we really have to look right, into right. the uh, maintenance reports from the property manager to see if the tenant has complained about anything that was done inside. Um, alternatively, if the tenants only moved in a year or two ago, then you know you might even have interior pictures and then you, you have a better idea right, of what you're yeah, getting. Yeah. Um, the upside of a longer-term tenant is they're probably going to stay there longer as well. So you probably, if you had somebody living in the property in 10 years, um, the interior might not be in super good condition, but the tenant might stay another 10 or 15 years, which is also yeah. a bonus. Um, so we some of that information is not going to be available to us before we submit an offer because the uh, mm-hmm. sellers and the agents, um, from the building side of things, they need to pay some fees to the building management company to get the recent reports. And the also, they don't tend to go out of their way um, to compile all of the information before they got an offer on the table. They'd rather just sit and wait for another offer to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the offers are non-binding. So if... We write okay. on the uh, right. application form that this is subject to due diligence information, and then we can pull it back if we're not satisfied right. with okay. anything received. Yeah. Okay. And then once you're happy on with a particular property and you want to move forward with that, it's 
up to you and your Japanese uh, skill level, whether you mm-hmm. want us to represent you throughout the settlement or if you're happy to then take it, you know, just a contract signing, mm-hmm. paying deposit, if you can do all of that on your own. The agencies by law are not allowed to run through the legal documents with anybody who cannot read fluent kanji, legalese kind of mm-hmm. uh, right. kago and so forth. So unless you've got a spouse or somebody else who can attend with you and review the documents, or unless you were uh, proficient in that on your own, um, you might need somebody like us to represent <coughs> you throughout the settlement. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and our fee, because we're not a brokerage, our fees are, se- <coughs> are separate to that. So we like to think, and I think most of our clients think, that we cover our fees uh, or quite over that by pointing out where you can negotiate the price and for whatever reason, and just for yeah. o- opening up more of the market that might not be available to foreigners, mm-hmm. because some of the agencies will not work with foreigners, but they're happier to work with a Japanese representative like us. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, so it, whether you need our entire service all the way to settlement, which in that mm-hmm. case will be based on a percentage of the price, Right. Or if right. you just need us on a consulting basis, like a, an hourly retainer that we can use to research for you, conduct due diligence for mm-hmm. you, and then let you proceed from there on your own, um, depends on your individual scenario. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, my Japanese is capable, but I, I, I would want assistance, I think, right from the start to the finish, yep. accepting that, um, obviously, there's a greater cost for that, but um, I, would, I would rather do it that way from start to finish, and put all effort possible onto, you know, making sure it's the right property at the right price and getting value for money through that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the value of, you know, saving you from costly mistakes is also something that uh, tends yeah, to be factored yeah. into that price. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that all makes sense. And then, I suppose, at, at that price of that, you, you can sort of be able to walk me through what... Um, I suppose like an example or something of how your, I guess it's a percentage, is it, of the, the value of the property, how that it is. So for works the, through. For the full process representation, it's a fixed fee based on them. Initially, we charge it based on the budget that you're aiming to purchase at, and then we'll um, <laughs> debit or credit you post-settlement, depending on the actual purchase price. Yeah. Um, but the advantage of that way of working is that there's no limit on the hours. So we're going to keep researching property after property after property until you end up settling on whatever you uh, prefer. Yeah. Whereas with the retainer, if we end up digging into uh, five or six or eight properties, it might end up being more than that because we'll have to charge you by the hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And maybe it's conversation with a later date, but what, what happens if... Um, despite best efforts, we are unable to locate a property that works. Well, if your criteria from the beginning doesn't make sense, we're going to tell you that. So, I mean, like the conversation that we had previously about what you can get in various locations, and we're going to have a few more conversations about what age of properties would um, um, would be able to generate what kinds of yields. Um, we're not going to enter the process with you if we think that your um, requirements are just not sensible, like don't, it's not going to work out. Yeah. If somebody approaches us asking for a 10% yield on a Tokyo property, we're just not going to be able to help them. So that usually hasn't yeah. been the yeah. case. Yeah. 
Um, but that fee is non-refundable once we start working. So we've refunded the fee to people who paid us and then went silent for three years and told us that they got a divorce and they're actually not purchasing. We haven't actually worked for them, so we have refunded the yeah. fees. Yeah. But once we start working and we're doing the research, due diligence, we're contacting agent, then that fee is non-refundable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, thank you. So, so obviously, me speaking to accountants, understanding the points of just being through, and also banks as well. With regard, I've had a little bit of a look online, which say it's just initial in terms of, from what I read, it appears that um, for a investment mortgage, it's probably eighty twenty in terms of twenty percent cash contribution from the buyer and that well from myself, and then eighty percent mortgage. Does that does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Experience, yeah. yeah. Um, so understanding that, and then what would it be? It would be a, a subsequent conversation with yourselves and say, "Look, this is this is my total amount that I'm looking to spend." Um, a conversation about target yields and sort of move move from there. Yeah, well, the first conversation that I think you want to have is uh, first get a general. Um, general approval from a bank that's saying, yes, they will lend to you in your particular circumstances and salary and and, uh, other debts that you might have. And once they've done that, they'll also tell you uh, what sort of properties they will lend for. Um, Because that, again, is going to be the strictest criteria that we're going to have to work with. Um, I mean, if the only lender who will agree to lend to you will only lend for Tokyo properties, there's no point discussing properties in Nagoya or Fukuoka. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if they're only lending for properties that have been built 1995 and later, there's no point in looking at anything that's uh, 1990, for example. So if we are going, if you're not going to be a cash buyer and you are going with a mortgage, the first step would be to speak to the lenders and find one or two that are actually um, confirming that they can go ahead with you. Yeah. Then get some criteria from them and then we can start basing our research on that. Okay. Otherwise, if for some reason you find that you can't get a loan, um, uh-huh. then we'll have a different conversation about what your maximum cash budget is. Yeah. Um, in that case, you might be buying just a small studio unit yeah. built yeah. 1990 yeah. or later up to 100,000 or so, for example. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Mm. Okay. Um, that's useful, thank you. I'm just looking at the notes I made before, before we spoke. I think that's, yeah, I think you've um, helped with most of it, thank you. Not a problem. All right. So nice little chat there. Hope you found value in it. And again, from my own perspective, what I enjoyed about it the most are the various tidbits that we covered um, related to diversity and risk hedging. I know we've covered this topic time and time again, but it's really worth revisiting time and time again because it's the sort of thing that can really make or break any investment portfolio. And real estate is no exception, of course. So this is diversity is what enables you to ride out storms when they happen to gain value from all sorts of market trends, and of course, to better protect your income stream, which could take a serious hit or be completely annihilated if it's all focused on a single asset class or a single asset or a single location or a single type of investment vehicle, you name it. So yeah, really good stuff there. Okay, so now for the special announcement that I promised you. Um, Yours truly has finally joined Clubhouse a few weeks ago. If you're at all active on the internet, you've probably heard of it or you're already a member even. If you're not, Clubhouse is basically an audio chat room app that's currently only available for the iPhone, but I hear they're working on that. 
and it allows you to just quickly jump into at any time, see what rooms are available, what people are talking about, and either listen uh, or click a little button indicating to the room moderators that you'd like to go on stage, so to speak, and participate in the conversation. Uh, you can follow your favorite people, whether they're acquaintances or various known names in any particular industry, so that you'll always get a notification when they're in a room discussing any particular topic of interest. It's a fantastic little app. There's always an interesting conversation going on, and it's been absolutely on fire all over the world in the past year, uh, since face-to-face -face meetings became mostly a thing of the past. Now, it only just recently started blowing up in Japan, but it is becoming super popular super quickly. So yeah, I've joined a few weeks ago, as mentioned, and naturally, by virtue of affiliation, I've been following and followed by a great crowd of Japan-based business folks, many of them active in or working in or having some interest, at least, in real estate in Japan, uh, whether investment, real estate, family homes, holiday homes, hospitality properties, commercial properties, you name it. And after having seen a few rooms that we were all chatting in um, quickly turn into real estate rooms and drawing quite a large crowd of people who were also interested in hearing more about the topic... So a bunch of us have decided to set up our own rooms uh, or events that'll really be deep dives or Q&A sessions on various related topics. And I'll be kicking off my own room, focusing mainly on real estate investment here in Japan. Uh, that'll be next Wednesday, 17 February 2021 at 2 p.m. That's Japan Standard Time, 2 p.m. And I'll be joined by a fantastic cater of uh, people, Daphne Thompson, who you may have heard here on the podcast or on our YouTube channel or hers when she interviewed me last year. Uh, Daphne's originally from South Africa, and she's already invested in property in the UK. She's a great person to talk to, always curious and friendly and just a fantastic uh, chatty person to be around. So she was a natural choice for moderator for the room. She does a great job at it, too. I've heard her do it in some other rooms, and she really made those events really successful and fun to attend. We'll also have Tracy Northcott, founder and owner of Tokyo Family Homes, uh, and she's a short-term stay uh, Airbnb expert and consultant. We'll have Emil Jorges, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, Emil, uh, who's a real estate broker in Tokyo who specializes mainly in family homes for expats, and he knows all there is to know about mortgages and property loans in Japan, so a really great team, and we should be able to answer all or at least most of your questions. And just do a nice little roundtable sort of panel on all things related. Uh, again, in my room, mainly to real estate investment, but also all other aspects of real estate in Japan. And you're very welcome to join us. Now, Clubhouse, for now at least, is an invitation-only platform. So if you're not a member yet and you do want to join the event, drop me a line in the comments section and I will try to hook you up with a membership or an invitation to join, as they call it. So yeah, really looking forward to chatting with all of you live on the day. Again, that's next week, February 17th, 2021 at 2 p.m. Japan Standard Time. Now, the room title does state this, and we'll also mention it during the event uh, on a few occasions. We're going to try and record it so that we'll be able to use the content here on the podcast and YouTube as well, in case anyone misses it. And we're, of course, obliged by law and just by common sense and courtesy, really, to let people know that they are being recorded. So if you don't want to be recorded when you speak, uh, it's probably a good idea to just listen in instead and not to raise your hand to ask questions or go on the stage. So just a heads up on the recording. And before we go, quick reminder that one of our other sponsors is Humble Bunny, the best bilingual English-Japanese web design and e-commerce implementer here in Japan. If you've got a business, big or small, or are working for a business that needs a better online presence, hit them up on inquisitive at humblebunny.com. 
asked to speak with Nate, uh, tell him you heard about the company here on the podcast and they'll sort you right out at very reasonable prices and fantastic results. So that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. If you did, drop us a line in the comment section, let us know what you think, or simply hop over to the iTunes store and leave us a short review, even just a star rating. Help us reach more people. We'll be forever in your debt. And again, if you're free next Wednesday, do try to join us for our Clubhouse event. That's 2 p.m. Japan Standard Time. I and the rest of the uh, very able panel will be really excited to talk shop with you and answer any questions that you might have regarding real estate property in Japan, investment related or otherwise. So I hope to have you with us next time here on the podcast as well. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku.